Welcome to MTSU on the Record. I'm Jenna Logue, and we're coming to you from the campus of Middle Tennessee State University in Murfreesboro, Tennessee. Dr. Matthew Brown's latest book of poetry, Thou Art That, contains writing that takes many forms, sometimes prose, sometimes verse, sometimes obituaries, but all with an eye toward dealing with love and loss. The pages aren't numbered, and the entries aren't titled. It's all a continuum of life, nature, routine, and caring. The poetry of life and death after this. Here are some of the headlines making news at mtsunews.com, the university's news and information website. Dr. Heather Brown, director of the School of Concrete and Construction Management, was inducted into the Tennessee Concrete Association Lifetime Hall of Fame February 7th in Franklin. The honoree, a native of Fort Campbell and Clarksville, Tennessee, hugged about 25 alums individually as they walked onto the stage. The concrete and construction programs have produced 1,350 graduates who are spread across the country. 1,000 of those are in concrete, and Brown said that she has taught all but 17 of them through the years. There are 375 concrete students in the program now. And MTSU students and their faculty mentors who are preparing for the 13th annual MTSU Scholars Week 2019 must submit their abstract proposals by noon Tuesday, February 26th. Each online abstract submission will include a project title and 150 to 300 word summary of the research project. Only submissions with undergraduate and graduate students as first authors will be eligible for judging and prizes. Scholars Week will be held March 18th through the 22nd. Events will include department and college activities in discipline-specific venues for a presentation of graduate, undergraduate, and faculty scholarship. Proposals for each college event have separate submission processes and deadlines. Planned activities will include talks, readings, performances, posters, and multimedia presentations. For MTSU News at any time, go to mtsunews.com. Welcome back, Matthew. Thanks for being with us. Thank you for having me. Where did you get the idea for this book? Um, I wrote some the early drafts of a lot of these poems um, while uh, I was dealing with the terminal illness and, and process of, of eventual death of my father-in-law, mm-hmm. uh, who I was really very very close to um and i was kind of his confidant as he went through this so i got a lot of insights into his process of of kind of preparing for his own mortality and this was going on at the same time that uh, my wife and i were expecting our first child and so i saw this kind of binary um kind of of you know rising and setting at the same time and uh that was my primary impetus uh, behind kind of starting the early drafts of what uh, eventually became this collection. Um, but I'm, I've also a lot of, just for a long time been very interested in the concepts of loss, how we deal with grief. Um, and more than anything, I would say that this is a collection of poems or a long poem, or I've had people call it like a novella mm-hmm. uh, in, or a novel in verse. Uh, it's kind of, I didn't really know how to, what to call it as I was, you know, querying it out to, uh, publishing houses. Um, but I've always been uh, really obsessed with the idea of how memory works and how we actually make sense of our lives. And I don't think a lot of time uh, people spend a lot of time considering 
uh, kind of the faulty and fleeting nature of memory and, and um, how it's more of an interactive uh, exercise that we undertake when we remember something than it is something that we just kind of recall as if we have a bank fault. So for example, if I want to think about a certain memory that I have with my wife, um, I don't go to the first time that I ever saw her and then catalog through until I get to the date and time that I want to remember and then press play and watch that happen. It's much more so involuntary. I'll see something or smell something that kind of fills me with parallel memories all at the same time, good and bad and easy and, and, and uh, joyful and, and uh, lamentory. And um, the ways that especially at a time of tremendous change, uh, we are at the, the kind of the whim of our own memories. Um, that's why I don't have the page numbers and why it does seem just so kind of ethereal is um, we remember things through association. Uh, we remember things differently at different times. Um, I think especially in any period of trauma that we have, uh, like a death or uh, even to some extent a birth can be this if you've ever been a new parent, you know that it can be its own trauma. Mm-hmm. Um, and with that, I think uh, we are f- even more so at the whim of, of memory. And so this kind of, we, we have to ultimately make a decision as to whether or not we're going to try to control it or, or write it out. And so I started writing them at that time and subsequently um, I published some of those earlier drafts as a chat book. And then um, I, I had some health problems uh, they were pretty severe, and the doctors didn't seem to have any idea where they were coming from, but that they were rather grave. And so I had, had to confront kind of my own um, sensibilities of mortality in an awkward way at the same time. Uh, and uh, that my mother was diagnosed with terminal cancer. And I perf- once again had to perform primary care to her to the end of her life, um, about the end of which is when I finished the last drafts and editing of, of this collection. So it was all coming together pretty much at the same time within a few months of each other, right? Yeah, all in all, it was over the course of a couple of years, but there were definitely most of what you see here was lightning speed. Are you all right? Uh, in terms of physically? Was yes, physically. I, 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 I believe so. Um, you know, I think that uh, I had uh, some, uh, an infection that w- so started having some problems with um, my pancreas. And uh, I believe that the initial cause of these problems has been alleviated, but now I've got uh, kind of consequential uh, problems that I'll probably carry with me, such as like scar tissue did it, you know, overproduction of enzymes. and All of this, since you are a poet, naturally had to come out through your writing because that's how you deal with it is is the entire book a, a catharsis or did you feel you had achieved some sense of closure before certainly not closure uh I, it's it's kind of like a catharsis but i think in many ways more meditative i spent a lot of time too you know obviously sitting in oncology you know treatment waiting rooms and labs and um just kind of absorbing the the rhetoric of grief from people around me who were watching their entire worlds fall apart through in the in the physical embodiment of a loved one, and seeing what that loss means, um, and it really is an apocalypse um, when you see somebody uh, a significant significant other or a parent or a, I might see people with their, who are losing children 
which is unimaginable to me as a father of two very young children. Mm-hmm. Um, but I'd see people going through that, and it, I mean, it, it, it is an apocalypse. It's the end of a world problem. We'll take a break here. We'll be back in just a moment. This is MTSU on the record. The Concrete Industry Management Program at MTSU fills the need for trained personnel who know concrete technology and techniques. Our alumni go into the marketplace grounded in basic math and science and able to promote products or services related to the industry. Our participation in the academic common market ensures talented students in other states a chance to enroll on an in-state tuition basis. This is Dr. Heather Brown, director of the program. To find out more information on this or other university programs, visit mtsunews.com. The American Democracy Project is a nonprofit initiative which strives for greater voter registration and civic participation among young people at MTSU and at campuses nationwide. Through encouragement from professors and peers, young adults are shown the value of being more active citizens in their community, their state, and their nation. ADP seeks to nurture programs that raise the campus community's level of engagement with society. For all the latest MTSU news and information, go to mtsunews.com. We're talking about Thou Art That, which is Dr. Matthew Brown's latest book of poetry. He's uh, in the English department here at MTSU, and as a poet, his uh, website is www.matthewbrownpoetry.com. Why the title, Thou Art That? Um, Thou Art That is a phrase that is um, a mantra that you see throughout um, the Upanishadic Vedas and the Hindu tradition. It's kind of viewed as being the more philosophical component of uh, the Hindu tradition. Um, uh, it was greatly influential in uh, peop- some of the members of the American Renaissance, uh, like Emerson and Thoreau. Um, and Thou Art That essentially means, uh, because the Upanishads believe that that not in the pantheon of gods per se, but in God is more of a flux, that God is, is this kind of godness that it, uh, exudes itself through all things. And it is only kind of the consequence of the attempt to express meaning as constituted by desire that we see anything that isn't God. And so real enlightenment is shedding our illusory beliefs in the things that we falsely attribute because we want control to God and um, don't surrender ourselves to kind of the true expression of just that that energy that is Godness. And so thou art that is is this idea that what that God is in everything. So what is in that over there is also in you and anything that is not that is kind of pointless and it is illusory. And so um, it becomes this kind of repetitive almost prayer if you read a lot of these Upanishadic Vedas that this phrase thou art that meaning if you look at the tree and you understand that what is the most essential component of the tree is the same thing that is the most essential component that is you then you understand the closest thing to truth and God that you can Um, and that that should come at the expense of working hard to shed all of the rest of the baggage that comes with it and so um, I found myself in the situation um, where I was watching uh, someone, someone and some, then some ones that I cared about tremendously um, dying. And at, on, for, for both of these people who I uh, am referencing, um, I was also, you know, becoming a parent the first time and then a second time. 
uh, as they died um, in both circumstances. My, my wife's father died within a few months of our son being born, and my mother died within a few months of my daughter being born. And I'd watch all these other people who were, uh, and, you know, going through this process. And I, it really came to mind uh, kind of what's important and what we're reducible to. And what we're reducible to is this kind of ultimate vulnerability. And so this idea that if you can't look at someone and something else and see in it this just kind of will to belong and to connect and um, to kind of have help carrying that burden of, of grief and consciousness or struggle, um, then you can't recognize the most important part of who and what you are. And I question just how deeply you can exist. And so the book is more spiritual in nature than religious in nature. Very much so. Yeah. Yeah. There are. I mean, there are uh, religious references throughout. Um, I, you know, the book begins with a quote from Matthew and from one of the Vedas that talk about um, kind of the value of birds. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, we're, a lot of people are familiar with the uh, quote from uh, the book of Matthew, uh, which is, uh, "Fear not, therefore, ye are of more value than mer- many sparrows." And in the Upanishadic uh, tradition, you would not see that kind of a statement of anthropocentrism where it's kind of like, well, you know, God takes care of sparrows and you're better than sparrows. Um, Whereas the Upanishads would certainly say, you are exactly the same as the sparrow. What makes it what it is is the same as what makes you what you are. And uh, because you are reducible to the same ultimate conclusion. In addition to the very specific prose descriptions of people and of nature, uh, what strikes me is the interspersed daily itineraries. They start out routine, and they proceed to list of da- daily caretaking duties for someone taking care of an infirm loved one, someone who has a terminal illness, who has suffered a stroke, something like that. And I think it's wonderful that somebody has finally found poetry in the diligence of these caretakers who perform one of the toughest acts of love ever. People don't realize how hard it is to not only struggle with the emotional impact of a loved one being this ill, but to do all the heavy lifting, uh, wiping incontinent people, Mm -hmm. uh, feeding people who are in restraints or can't get out of bed, those types of things that have to be done on a daily basis and are mundane and not terribly fulfilling on a personal or self-aggrandizing nature, but which are acts of love. It, it, It boggles my mind that there are people in the world who not only can do it, but are willing to do it day in and day out and um, aren't completely broken by it. And to to be honest, obviously, there are times where I think everyone would have to be, you know, um, have made some good friends, of course, of people who now at this point (laughs) who um, are in these fields of caretaking, especially even at the, the kind of lower end of it where it's uh, people who don't make very much money and they're doing the kind of the most, let's say, unpleasant of jobs. Um, and the fact that they can operate without um, kind of some kind of uh, resentment towards uh, everything and everyone around them, but that they can still be gracious and they can still be kind and compassionate. I mean, this is, the I think, the ultimate kind of uh, act of, of grace and charity that I can imagine much more so than any kind of other evangelizing that someone can might undertake. Um, 
it's really difficult. And, uh, you know, obviously, if you have been a part of a very long term um, progressive illness, uh, especially as with cancer, as we see a larger percentage of people um, inflicted with cancer, as uh, they stop being inflicted with other terminal ailments that might take them more quickly. Um, I think more people are becoming aware of just how, in some ways, grotesque end of life can be. Mm-hmm. Um, and so it's definitely something that I tried not to shy away from, but I definitely tried to interrupt with some lyrical bouts. And so I would have, I tried to put some very concrete moments in that then I would echo with kind of much more uh, abstract philosophical um, kind of. Uh, ideas. So the, the obituaries, for example, the first mm-hmm. one is an obituary um, that's kind of for a quasi-made-up person mm-hmm. um, that sounds very much like an obituary, and in the one later, mm-hmm. it's much more lyrical. It sort of tells you that uh, an obituary of a person, as is printed in a newspaper, does not even begin to tell the story of that yeah. person's life and relationships. Yeah, and I don't know what can, other than, I think, um, to some extent, those people who have these experiences and decide um, that instead of shying away and saying, okay, well, I got through that, I survived, now let me put it in the back of my mind, who want to return and try to figure out ways to help other people. That's the extraordinary thing about the book. It's not morbid. It's not a downer. It's uh, it's uplifting in acknowledging uh, that this is part of the total mosaic of life. Mm -hmm. Yeah, and I think it's cyclical like that with all things, right? I mean, everything is relative. So unless you have experienced the, a tremendous amount of suffering in your life, then you also can't experience or at least appreciate um, or be, so be aware of the kind of equal uh, binary of, of pleasure or joy or, or love. And so um, I think that there's something about experiencing really severe trauma of a a whole lot of different varieties that allows us to more fully inhabit our own bodies. And I think that there's something that is um, very disturbing about our cultural arrangement, Um, something that maybe we're examining right now uh, in large part because of uh, the controversy stirred up by the election of Donald Trump as president and the, some of the chauvinistic uh, components of his personality and the, the, the statements he's made about women. And um, you're seeing these challenges to the ways that we talk about and understand uh, masculinity and femininity and gender constructs in society. And, and not only what they are, but where that they sh- what they should be and where that, where that disconnects come from. But um, having worked so much with trauma, um, with the other groups that I run, uh, that are all, you know writing groups in, to, to help people in post-trauma uh, context, as as a culture, we have certain kind of excuses that we will give to certain members of our communities who have experienced trauma that we kind of will write off their perhaps gender slippage. Mm-hmm. So, uh, veteran combat vets, for example, um, for them to show some kind of emotion especially a public display of emotion, um, God forbid they cry in public, as, mm-hmm. especially as males. Right. Um, well, there's an excuse because, well, we, we now have a convenient, you know, everything's PTSD instead of a legitimate diagnosis of post-traumatic stress disorder or post-traumatic mm-hmm. stress or stress injuries. Mm-hmm. Um, 
that it becomes a convenient excuse to say we can maintain these gender kind of standards that we have um, and not have them threatened by kind of the uber <laughs> male that we've constructed uh, the troops to be in our society all too often, um, kind of breaking that norm. And I find that um, there is this deep need in these points of trauma, especially with this kind of long-term illness and grief of a, of a dear uh, loved one, a partner, a child, a parent, something like this, um, where you see uh, some of these, what feels like an, an, an internal initial reaction that, that feels very organic, um, and it's hard to process through. And so I include that here uh, in, in the book on, very intentionally, where you see um, the more centralized protagonist who uh, is the husband of the wife who's dying, um, which is just something that as I was thinking about this, I, I was thinking, what would it be like you know, to experience this? Uh, from from the side of the other side, this idea that he is made vulnerable, uh, and he doesn't have problems expressing that sensitivity, at least in a, you know as disclosed to us, the readers. But there are other p components, like there's a uh, one of this, these small lyrical passages where um, it's talking about a miscarriage that it, they experienced at one time. And his first reaction, the first thing he does instead of consoling his, his wife is to get up and wash the sheets um, that are blood-stained. And uh, he's just wanting something mechanical he can do with his hands, which I think is something that's very masculine-centric in our society, that I can fix something physically rather than, you know, that it isn't a physical thing I can fix. Um, there was a part of me that was even angry with him that he wouldn't, his first reaction would be to do anything other than hold his wife. But I, I identified with him in a lot of ways too, not literally, but figured, or, you know, emotionally and, and uh, metaphorically. Just like you later see as the wife is dying in a hospital bed, um, she's still trying to like use sexual innuendo, knowing that that's not on the table, <laughs> but feeling like that is part of what her, she is supposed to contribute to a relationship and something that she wishes she could. Um, and so, and that's all obviously partially constructed too. And so this, this, this gray area that exists that um, we have to confront if we want to help process trauma in a healthy way, um, but that our culture doesn't really allow us to dissect and discuss. I really tried to investigate that. Time for another break. We'll be right back. This is MTSU on the record. MTSU's Jewish and Holocaust Studies minor offers undergraduate students a chance to study the culture and religion of the Jewish people and the Holocaust in an interdisciplinary program. Studies include history and culture, theology and philosophy, and the arts and social sciences. Courses tackle vital topics central to local and global awareness, including multiculturalism and the meanings of diversity, religious tolerance, and genocide. For the latest MTSU news and information, go to mtsunews.com. The Tennessee Early Childhood Training Alliance, or TECTA, works to improve the quality of child care in Tennessee by establishing a statewide training and professional recognition system. Through TECTA, child care providers may be eligible for free orientation training, tuition support for early childhood academic courses, and networking opportunities, as well as other services. For all the latest MTSU news and information, go to mtsunews.com. In our final moments with Dr. Matthew Brown of the English Department, author of Thou Art That, a uh, technical question. Are the prose entries poetry or prose, or does the form even matter? You, did you just go with what you felt at the time and not th think about, well, 
do I have to put it into this form or that form or, you know, uh, the various types of genres that you teach about in your classes? So the forms probably mean more to me than they do to anyone else. Um, (laughs) And it's more so for my sanity. Uh, So the process that I I have used for a handful of things that I've written, probably at this point getting to be the bulk of what I have written, um, is very... uh, romantic with a uppercase R in nature, where it's kind of when the, the muses come and the lightning strikes, I just try to capture it. And so I stop periodically and I've got this just kind of, you know, I've got 50 things that are fully or partially written and I look for trends. And when I see those trends, that becomes the organizing principle of the piece. And so then I, the new pieces I write fill in gaps or start to conform to those trends and they represent certain moods or moments to me that I'm trying to express, but it's not really concretely defined for me. And so you see these times where you get these waves of different lengths of sentences moving back and forth across the pages, and then they'll be followed by a really tight prose block. Um, And I like the visual experience of that contrast, that things can feel very lucid and very kind of um, difficult to really understand, and then you're confronted with something that is immovable, immutable, and eternal. And you can't stick with that for too long. You find a way back into the more kind of fluid, every you know, um, quotidian expression of what you got to do to survive. Um, and so I'm sure that there is some kind of deep psychology into why I chose some things in prose and why some things twisted this way or that way. Um, but I would be lying if I said it was intentional at all. It was not a conscious decision. Nope. The book is called Thou Art That, and especially if you just like poetry or creative writing, or especially if you're dealing with uh, terminal illness or loss within your circle of family and friends, uh, I would recommend this far in advance of recommending any of those books of trite aphorisms that you can get in the bookstore or daily devotionals. You know the ones I'm talking about. Dr. Matthew Brown from the Department of English, author of Thou Art That. Thanks for being with us. Thank you for having me. We'll be right back. The Tennessee Employment Relations Research Association, or TERA, gives labor relations specialists and academics a chance to share their views and their data. Terra wants academics and other interested in human resources and industrial relations to work together at meetings and conferences to strengthen the workplace. Many MTSU faculty belong to Terra, which has members in 20 states and 7 nations. For all the latest MTSU news and information, go to mtsunews.com. The Middle East-centered MTSU seeks to promote greater understanding of the politics, history, and culture of this vitally important region of the world. Its mission includes the promotion of outreach programs and faculty research. The center sponsors lectures by Middle East experts and scholarly exchanges. We're especially pleased to offer a new interdisciplinary minor in Middle East studies with courses in Arabic and Hebrew. This is Dr. Alan Hibbard, Center Director. For all the latest MTSU information, go to mtsunews.com. Jimmy Hart has the middle moment. Civil rights trailblazer James Meredith shared insights on his life's journey during keynote remarks for this year's Unity Luncheon, which also honored five unsung community heroes. After integrating the University of Mississippi in 1962, Meredith has spent his life advocating for equal rights and a more just society. 
Here's Meredith on his march against fear in 1966. My number two mission was to challenge and destroy fear. That is what the march against fear was about. Because it was the fear that kept blacks in their place. In order to move out of our place in the system of white supremacy, we had to first get rid of the fear. My number three mission is to do God's will. The system of white supremacy and the use of fear to maintain it is man's plan. The covenant agreement is God's plan. That's MTSU on the record. I'm Jenna Logue. Thanks for listening. MTSU on the record, a news and information program about Middle Tennessee State University, is produced by the university's marketing and communications office, which is solely responsible for its content. Read more about MTSU at our website, mtsunews.com. Podcasts of this program are available at mtsunews.com and on iTunes.